Christmas season, so that means the season of invitations. Uh, this is a season where you get invited to pretty much everything. You get uh, party invitations, uh, you get school concert invitations, band, chorus, theater, uh, on and on, um, uh, school parties for, for your kids. You get that sort of invitation. Um, you get invitations to sock swap parties and ornament swap parties and white elephant gift parties and all kind of gift exchange parties. You get invited to church services, hopefully. You're invited to Christmas Eve. We're having three Christmas Eve services. There you go. You just got invited to that. You get invited to give to good causes. You get invited to volunteer to charitable causes. This is a season of constant invitations. And if you're tired of it, just wait because you'll stop getting them in January because everybody's broke in January. And it's dark and it's cold and we all just want to stay in our own house all January, right? So all the invitations end in January, but this is a month where there's just invitations. So many invitations, you can't respond to all of them, right? This is, you've got to prioritize, what do I have time for? What are the most important ones? These are the ones I'm going to RSVP for and I'm not going to go to these other ones. That's the way the month of December is. Now, since it is the season of invitation... It's also very possible that you didn't get an invitation that you wanted this December. Sometimes that happens. You know, often in December, you really wanted an invitation to a party that you didn't get invited to. Or maybe it's not Christmas related. You, you wanted to get invited into a group and you didn't get invited into that group. You wanted to get invited to go on a trip with some people and they didn't invite you to go on the trip, you wanted to get invited to have a promotion in January, and the promotion invitation did not come at your work. You, you wanted to get invited to be married, and, and you didn't, right? Because it, it can't be Hallmark movies all the time, right? There's, you got to be realistic. So sometimes we get invitations, and, and sometimes we don't get the invitation that we wanted, but December is full of invitations. Uh, in this series, The Weary World Rejoices, we're looking at some of the old carols, the, the really traditional, well-known carols. As a matter of fact, just brief announcement, and that is uh, our worship band put together a six, seven-song EP, and if you haven't downloaded it yet, you can download it at christmasatjourney.info. You can download it. There's some little cards around, and it has that on it, or if you're confused about how to download it, we have actual CDs in the back. They're free. You're welcome to pick one up if you still own a CD player. If you're under 20, I'll explain what CDs are after the service. But if you want a CD, if you want a physical CD, they're right out there in the hallway. You can pick one of those up. So, so we've been looking at these, these different Christmas carols. And the, the Christmas carol we're going to talk about today is all about an invitation. It's the one the band just sang. You just sang along with them. Oh, come all you faithful. This carol is all about an invitation. Every verse, come, come on, let's go, come on, oh come, let's adore him, oh come, let's adore him. You're familiar with the words, I'm going to read them anyway, just to be redundant. Here's the first verse that we all know, oh come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, oh come ye, oh come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the king of angels, oh come let us adore him, oh come let us adore him, oh come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. This great invitation. Now, here's what I found about old carols and old hymns. If you've sung old hymns before, we tend to sing old songs 
like their old songs. Have you noticed this? We sing old songs very stoically, like we don't want to hurt their feelings. And we're not sure how we should sing it, so let's, let's sing it very reserved and very carefully. And let's, let's not hurt its feelings because it's old and we don't want to break it. And we don't want it to break a hip because if you break a hip, that's all downhill from there. So we want to be, take real good care of this old song. We treat it sort of like it's decrepit. Like, like we, can't, we can't harm it. We've got to be very careful. But when I was reading through this old carol, and it is old. It, it's from the, the 18th century. It's almost 300 years old now. It's a really old song. But when I was reading through the words, it didn't sound like the author wanted us to be careful at all. It sounded like he was really excited about this invitation. This, oh, come, come on, everybody, I'm waiting for you. Oh, come. He seems really excited. A guy by the name of John Francis Wade. I don't know a whole lot about him, but that's, that's the guy who wrote it. Here's another one of his famous verses. Sing, choirs of angels. Sing in exultation. Sing, all ye citizens of heaven above. Glory to God, O glory in the highest. And then they, oh, come, all ye faithful. I just... One right after, come on, sing, everybody sing. I want you to sing. This is a great story. Another verse. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Not this stoic morning, not this sad morning, not this stuck in the mud morning. This was a great morning, and I want you to sing about this great morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us there's this excitement that I think John Francis Wade was feeling. Now, we don't sing it that way very often. The band did. They were awesome. But sometimes when we hear old songs, we kind of gear down a little bit. Like we, we slow the RPMs just a little bit because it's an old song. I think if John Francis Wade were still alive 300 years later, he'd say, what are you doing? I'm inviting you to come and worship and adore the king who came as a ba- to rejoice, oh, come, let us, let us adore him. Now, with, with older songs, uh, 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 another truth about them, uh, especially hymns and carols, is we tend to only know a few of the verses, a few of the stanzas. There's multiple reasons for why we, we only know a couple of them. Um, one is... Because if you grew up in a traditional church like I did, a Baptist church like I did, you always skip the third one anyway, right? Nobody ever sang the third verse. Anybody grow up Methodist? Did you do that? Method, uh, previous Methodist, former Methodist, formerly addicted Methodist, whatever. Presbyterians, did you do that? Baptists did it. Like one, two, and four. You never sang three, and they never told us why. There was never an explanation. This is why we don't sing verse 3. It offended somebody one time. They never told us. You just didn't sing it. Therefore, there are verses to hymns and carols we know really, really well and verses we don't know at all. And, and another reason is because we don't realize it today, but often the authors wrote like 10, 12, 15 verses. They were just on a roll, I guess. Like their, their rhymes were working that day, and they just kept adding 15 verses. And at some point, people said, we're not singing 15 verses. Sorry, we're going we're gonna to pick the ones that we like the best. And those sort of survived the passage of time. 
But when you start digging into hymns and carols, you will almost always find extra verses you didn't know about. And when I was looking up uh, Oh Come All You Faithful over the last few weeks, I found some verses that we don't normally sing. I'm not going to read the whole verse on this one, but there was one line from, from a verse that, that we never sing, and it was just this line. Who would not love thee, loving us so dearly? Who would not love thee? Like, how, how, how could you not sing about this? If you realize how much God loved us in the person of Jesus, who would not love this? This is the greatest thing ever. It's the greatest story ever. Our forgiveness, grace came. The overwhelming love of God came to us. Who wouldn't love this? I don't know where you are kind of in your Christmas celebration right now, whether you're still excited or you're starting to give out of gas, like some of us are starting to get out of gas, give out of gas, and, and I get it. Um, maybe the commercialization is too much for you. I, I get it. I mean, it, it is what it is, and it starts early. And I, I mean, I understand that that's not everybody's thing. The decorating, maybe that's not everybody's thing. Maybe your shopping list is just about to wear you out. You're trying to get to the end of it, and you can't find that one thing, and you're stressed out. I get it. But when you think about the core of the story, you think about the person that's at the center of the story, how can you not love this? How, you, how can you not love this idea that God would come to a fallen, separated group of humans that He created that he would come in the flesh in the form of a little baby to display his love. I think sometimes we, we would never say this, but we kind of get over the story. Because all of you know the story, right? You could come up, I could sit down, and you could tell this whole story from beginning to end. You've heard it every year. And sometimes it's like, yep, it's that story. We're going to church because it's Christmas, and we're going to hear that story. We all know that story. And sometimes we just, we sort of, Get over the story, but when you think about the love of God coming to the world for us, how can you not love that? Even, even, if, even if you're not fully committed to Jesus, if you've, just, you've got questions, you, you, you're not sure you're on board, like, don't you want this beautiful story to be true? Don't you want the story of a God who came to earth as a baby and Became a man who loved and healed and showed compassion and healed people and, and entered into lives and changed everything. Don't you want that beautiful story to be true? Who would not love thee? Who, who would not love this story? Here's another verse, last one. Another verse I found, and we never ever sing this verse, but here are the lyrics. True God of true God... Light of light eternal, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, which I kind of get why we don't sing that, right? I mean, that's kind of not Christmassy. Last line, son of the father begotten, not created. Now, abhors not the virgin's womb aside. Everything else in the verse is almost verbatim from what we call the Nicene Creed. Some of you may have recognized it. It's an old, old creed, older than O Come All Ye Faithful. An old, old, old creed. In the early days of the church, the church would form creeds, sayings, and they would accomplish a couple of things. 
They would clarify what the church believes because early in church history, there's a lot of arguments over, well, what do we believe about Jesus and what do we believe about God? And so the, the leaders of the church, they would pray and they would study and they would say, here's, here's what we believe. This is what Christianity teaches. And then they would put it in a form that people could memorize because most people couldn't read in the early days of of church history. Most people couldn't open up a book or open the Bible and read. And so the church uh, leaders, they would put kind of a catchy, kind of a poetic creed together, and then they would say it every time they got together. And it reminded them, this is what we believe. This is what's true. Now, the Nicene Creed, one of the main reasons it was formed is because there was this debate on whether Jesus was really God. And this language that John Francis Wade included in this verse that we never sing is straight out of that. True God of true God, light of light eternal, son of the father begotten, not great. He's the same as God. He's one with God. He wasn't human and then later became God or he wasn't human and then became a really, really good human. He was light of light eternal. He was begotten. He was true God of true God. The, the Nicene Creed uses the big word that we never use, consubstantial. The same substance as God. And, and if you believe that, if you believe that true God of true God, light of light eternal, came down 2,000 years ago, was born in a manger through a virgin to Mary and Joseph, walks this earth, heals, loves, shows compassion, lays his life down for us. I'm with John Francis Wade. Like, how can you not sing about that? Like, how can that not stir you up on the ends? Come on, oh, come all ye faith. Oh, come let us adore him. I love that invitation. The Christmas story really is just one big invitation. First to small groups of people and then to all of us. Last week we talked about the shepherds. And God comes to the shepherds through the angels and says, Come on, I want to show you something. Follow me. You're going to find a baby in a manger wrapped in cloths. Go there. Get close to that baby. This week I want to look at a different group. It's, we call them the wise men or the magi. And yes, I know those of you who are ready to have the conversation out in the hall. They weren't there the night Jesus was born. Right? They, can't, they come about two years later. The Bible tells us they go to a house. They don't go to the manger. So we can just avoid that whole debate. I get it that they weren't there. But they're a part of the Christmas story. The, the infancy narrative that Matthew gives us includes this trip of the wise men that happened probably two years after Jesus' birth, and this is how Matthew writes about it in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The Magi are a bit of a mystery. We don't know a lot about them. Traditions and legends have tried to fill in some of the gaps. So uh, over history, we've given them names. Probably wasn't really their names. But we, we've given them names. Uh, a lot of people assume there must be three because they brought three gifts. We don't really know that. They're just kind of this mysterious group 
of wise leaders and royals who come to meet the new king. What we know is they're from the east. We don't know what part of the east. We're just told they're from the east. And we can assume that somewhere along the way, they had uh, an encounter with some Israelites. Maybe some of the Israelites that were taken away to Babylon, if you remember that part of the, the Old Testament story. Israel's conquered, and they go to Babylon, and there's kind of a, a dispersion of people. They end up in a lot of different places, and, and perhaps these men, or some of them, met a group of the Israelites who told them about the Old Testament prophecies, who told them that they believed a king was going to one day come. Now, a part of being Magi as well was that most of them were interested in astrology. They believed that by looking at the stars and reading the seasons and the, the movements of the planets, that they could tell something about the future. They could tell things that were to come. And so they were constantly studying the skies. And, and that's why one night they're looking at the skies and they see a very distinctive star. A very bright star, and they somehow, again, we don't know how, they put together maybe this star is what the Israelites were talking about. We should probably go find out. So they begin their trek to find Jesus. As I was reading this, studying again this week, in light of what we talked about last week, it reminded me, that God is willing to speak our language when He invites us to Himself. God, God is willing to speak in terms that we understand as He begins to draw us to worship Him. For, for the shepherds, it was a manger and straw and a barn and cattle. They knew all about that, right? They felt right at home. For the magi, they're used to looking at the stars. They're used to studying the stars. So how does God speak to them? Through a star. God is okay speaking your language and speaking my language as he starts to draw us to himself. Probably there are parents, because I've talked to some of them, and what began to spark their interest in spiritual things is that their kids got interested in spiritual things, and they loved their kids, and their kids wanted to go to church, and so they took their kids to church, and God used that to begin to speak to the parents. For some of us, God speaks to us through the struggles that we're in right now, the set of circumstances that we're in right now. God knows where we are, and God's using that as the language that He wants to speak through us. For some of us, God has used successes. like Something great has happened in our life, and God used that to begin to turn our hearts towards Him. For others of us, He's used our questions. Like There was this nagging question about life. Big picture, eternity, what does it all mean? And that question that kept rolling around in our heart eventually led us to believe in an eternal God and a son that was sacrificed for us. God knows how to speak our language. So some of us are very logical and intelligent, and God has used that intellect to draw us to Him. So some of us are dialed into our emotions, we have lots of feelings. And God has spoken to us carefully through our emotions and our feeling, nudging us towards Him. God speaks millions of languages. To, to wise men who read the stars, He spoke to them through a star. And ultimately, 
God spoke to us, not just in a star or through intellect or through emotions or through our children or through our circumstances. Ultimately, the ultimate word of God came to us in a person. I took you to Hebrews 1 last week. I'm going to go back there and read a different part. This is Hebrews chapter 1, the very beginning of the book. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. We got messages from God because people heard from Him and they told us what He said. We got messages from God because we saw signs and and maybe miracles and, and interesting events took place. But the writer of Hebrews says, the final word that came from, the ultimate word that came from God, it wasn't a sign and, and it wasn't through a prophet, it was His Son. His Son came to live and ultimately die and rise again to help us get it so that we would hear the voice of God in human flesh. Now, I don't know if you'll take this as good news or if you'll take this as bad news. But when it comes to God's invitation to us, that invitation doesn't wait for the perfect time. God isn't waiting for the perfect set of circumstances. God isn't waiting for everything to settle down in our lives. God isn't waiting for the the world to be at peace. When God sent His Son at Christmas... He sent him during one of the craziest times in human history, certainly for that part of the world. If you remember how the story of the Magi goes, they travel and and ultimately meet King Herod. And King Herod was a ruthless, paranoid dictator who always felt threatened. He was suspicious of anybody that was around him, afraid that they were going to try to take the throne from him. And he responded in the same way every time. He just killed him. Like if he suspected that you wanted his throne, then he would just kill you. And he had the power and the authority to do it. He killed members of his own family, killed his own wives because he was so paranoid and suspicious. The Magi come to him. And they tell him the story. We saw a star. We think a king's been born. We're going to go worship that king. And Herod says, well, go find him and then report back to me so I can worship him. I want to worship him too. This is how Matthew describes it. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. God didn't wait until all of the earth's circumstances were at peace before he sent Jesus. God doesn't wait for your life to calm down either, which is probably a good thing because your life is like my life. It never calms down. There's always something 
going. God, God isn't waiting for a specific set of circumstances in your life. He has said through Christmas, come on, come to me. Come, come, be in relationship with me. Come experience my love for you. If there's any part of you that's thinking, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to know God when. I'm going to take God really seriously. As soon as I can sort out some of these things, He's not waiting all, all of that to get sorted out. He sent His Son into the world for you. Right now, whatever the set of circumstances are, He doesn't wait for the perfect time. The other thing about the invitation is, this invitation doesn't wait for perfect people either. The invitation from God wasn't waiting to find the perfectly faithful and holy people before God shows up. Remember, the angels come to the shepherds last week. The the shepherds can't even go to the temple and worship. They don't have it all together. He comes to the Magi in in our study this week. We have no reason to believe that the Magi had any spiritual interest in Jesus. They thought Jesus was just another earthly king, another political king. And because they believed, many believed in that day, that the birth of future kings was heralded with a star, they thought, well, this is going to be another king. This is going to be another political king. This is going to be another government ruler. We should go make friends with this person because he's going to be powerful. There's nothing in the story that would lead us to believe they actually connected the God of the Hebrew children, the God of Israel, the Son coming to be the Savior of the world. And yet, God says to them, you're invited. You can come. Christmas 2019, God isn't inviting to the Christmas celebration those who have their lives all put together. God's not waiting for you to get everything figured out in your life before you can come and adore Him. God's not looking at your life and going, well, if you break a few bad habits, if you get a few things sorted out, if you become a better person, then you can come and be a part of my family. That's not the invitation. The invitation is, come. And it's at this point that maybe the old Christmas carol's not entirely correct. We begin the Christmas carol by singing, O come, all ye faithful. And if you're faithful, great, come. If that's you, if you're committed, if you're, if you're flawless, if you're, if you're, okay, come. But the invitation is also for all of those who haven't been quite faithful. Yeah, we sing, O come, all ye faithful, but... We could just as easily, it may be better, sing, Oh, come, all of you who really aren't that faithful. Christ has come. Because you aren't faithful, He was faithful. Oh, come, all ye who struggle. Oh, come, all ye who are broken. Oh, come, all ye who are messed up. Oh, come, all of you who have something in your past that you're embarrassed by, you don't want anybody to find out about, you 
get to come. Not only was this the announcement of Jesus' birth, it was the announcement of Jesus' life. When you read the gospel accounts of Jesus, he's never going to the faithful. He's always going to the unfaithful and saying, come. Prostitutes, you can come. Tax collectors, sinners, people who have lied, people who have messed up their marriages, you can come. Oh, come, all you who aren't faithful, because he's faithful. Come and adore him anyway. And it's a good thing that the unfaithful can come, because if we're honest, we're all unfaithful. None of us are batting a thousand. None of us come to this Christmas completely pure and holy and without blemish and without mistakes. What a great thought that the unfaithful can come as well. The broken and hurting, the marginalized, the despised that Jesus went to all throughout his ministry and said, oh, come. Ye who are unfaithful, you can come celebrate too. How do we start to do that? A couple of suggestions. Like the, like the Magi, we have to take our eyes off all of the other bright lights in our life and bring our focus on the one star. You can imagine, as I, as I can, the wise men studying the sky. There wasn't just one star in the sky that night. There were millions. There were stars and planets and suns. But their attention was captured by one. Our lives are like that. There's a lot of stars burning right now. There's a lot of demands. There's a lot of invitations. There's a lot of bright, shiny things in the world that are appealing for our attention. There's one star. There's one child that shines brighter than all of them. He is the demonstration of your Father, your Creator's Love for you, that God would love you so much, that God would love me so much, as unfaithful as I am, that he would send his son to outshine all the other stars in the world. You see, if, you're, if you and I are going to come and adore him, we got to look away from all the other things that are calling for our focus and our allegiance and come to the child. Second thing, we have to recognize our unfaithfulness and come to the one who's faithful. All of us do. Because the Bible says all of us are unfaithful. All of us have blown it. But God never has. And He demonstrated His great unending love for us by sending His Son. So you're invited. Whoever you are, whatever your life is like, whatever your circumstances are, whatever your past is, whatever your mistakes are, God the Father says, come. Come and celebrate. The Savior of the world has come for you this Christmas, for me this Christmas. 
I hope that you've met him. I, I hope that this Christmas you don't just try to navigate your way through familiar songs. You, you don't just try to step your way through a really old story that you've heard a lot of times. I, I hope this Christmas you know him. You've confessed your sin to him. You've received his love for you. You've come to adore him. Oh, come. All ye faithful, and especially you unfaithful, let us adore him. God, thank you that on a night 2,000 years ago, you called shepherds and wise men, poor and rich, you called people to adore you to come into relationship with you, to love you, to experience your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness, because we could not be faithful to you. Thank you for Jesus, the one who outshines all the stars in the sky. All of the goals and aspirations that we may have for our life pale in comparison to knowing the one true Son of God, who could not love you once they recognize how much you have loved us? Thank you for grace and beauty, for mercy and kindness that we experience because of the first Christmas. May we adore you. I pray it in Jesus' name.